In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace and mercy of Christ be with each one of you this 16th Sunday after Pentecost. In our day and age, it is of the utmost importance that we be thankful and that we cultivate within ourselves thankful and contented hearts. As the Apostle says, godliness with contentment is great gain. In thankfulness and in contentedness, we will find ourselves quite countercultural. Because as you well know, we are living in a time of unprecedented envy, greed, and entitlement. Since it's always easier to see the sins of others, let's start there. How about the greed and entitlement that's in the people all around us? And yet, does that not affect our own hearts as well? The consumerism and the commercials that feed on the fact that you could just be that much happier, that much more content, if only you will buy more and more and more. It's greed. And what happens on the individual level certainly even happens at the social level. In fact, we're seeing that increasingly, aren't we? Pay really close attention to the language of wealth redistribution and reparations and the tenets of communism being set forward, if not outright communism itself, and realize that under all this nice phraseology, under this umbrella of social justice, what is in fact there is social injustice and thinly veiled, thinly veiled envy, greed, and entitlement. Even in the spiritual sphere, we see rampant entitlement. How many believe that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, that, it, that we are saved? How many more believe that we are saved by being a good person? And of course, we are all good people. As one politician said a few years ago, if anyone deserves to go to heaven, it's me. So the remedy to this, and the title of my homily today, is Keep Your Eyes on God. And the subtitle would be, And Not on Your Neighbor. Keep your eyes on God and not on your neighbor. Of course we keep our eyes on our neighbor in terms of looking out for what it is they need and how we may serve them and give sacrificially to them. I'm not disputing that. But isn't it also true that the source of so many of our internal troubles and unhappiness come precisely when we take our eyes off of God and put our eyes on our neighbor and see what they have? I grew up in a family of four children. When we were all served ice cream at the table, everyone received it with absolute joy. Until what? We looked at what brother or sister has in their bowl. Then you hear the great liturgy of the family, 
that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. Now, in the parable that Jesus tells, it's exactly the same way, isn't it? Those workers who were hired first, who agreed to work for a denarius, that's a day's wage. Work a day, get a day's wage. They were perfectly content with their eyes on the master. But as soon as payday came and they saw what the other guys were getting, then they became bitter, envious. You might have reflected on this before. The ordering that Jesus gives to that payday in his, par in his uh, parable. If he simply paid them in the same order he hired them, think of how differently the text would read. If he, he hires the first, and then of course he hires them at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour, what if he paid them in that order? Then what would happen? Those who were hired on for denarius, they'd receive their denarius, they'd be happy and go on their way. All the other groups would also receive a denarius and go on their way, and each group would, after would just be amazed by his graciousness. It would be an entirely happy story, an entirely happy parable, but guess what? Jesus doesn't really like those. <laughs> so, in the order that he hires them, first to last, he then pays them last to first. And he does this precisely to drive home the point that those who think of themselves as being first, as being worthy, or at least more worthy than, at least better than someone else, those are truly the last. Luther, of course, does wonderfully with this. It's a lengthy quote, bear with me. But I want to give you Luther's comments. The first are the last, Jesus says. For this judgment strikes at what lies deepest in the hearts of man. The spiritual self-conceit. Which in poverty, disgrace, and misfortune, and just because of this, regards itself as first. By telling you that the first shall be last, God takes all arrogance out of you and forbids you, though you be Abraham or David or Peter or Paul, to set yourself above even a prostitute. And when God says the last shall be first, he checks all despair and forbids you, though you be Pilate or Herod or Sodom or Gomorrah, to place yourself beneath any saint. Luther continues, For just as we have no reason to exalt ourselves, so we have no reason to despair. For this gospel conserve, uh, confirms and preserves the great truth which lies in the middle. Namely, that we should not regard the wages, but the goodness of the master. Which extends in one and the same way to the high and to the low. To the first and to the last. To the saints and the sinners. So that no man has greater claim on it than any other. 
For he is God not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles, the God of all, whoever they may be or whatever they may be called. Thus far, Luther, consider not the payment, but the goodness of the master. Keep your eyes on God. Which lends itself to a bit broader meditation. Let's consider very briefly three questions. What does God owe you? Or to put it another way, what do you deserve? Second question, what do you have? And is not every last thing that you have a gift of his grace to you? And if it is a gift that you have received, then why, does you, why do you act as if it is something you had earned? Third question, what does your neighbor have? Is that also not a gift of God's graciousness to him or to her? Or in the words of the foreman in Jesus' parable, am I not allowed to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you going to begrudge me my generosity? Ouch. Keeping your eye on God means that we don't compare ourselves with one another. And we receive everything we have from God as pure and gracious gift. And so then, thankful hearts and contented hearts well up within us. Take your eyes off the master and put them on the fellow servant. And what happens? It all goes away. Now, keeping your eye on God means, in the way of Jesus' parable, keeping your eye on the master. And very quickly, I'd like to point out for you five oddities that reveal themselves if you keep your eye on the master in this text. The first is the master's repeated trips into the marketplace to continuously hire workers throughout the day. No master worth his salt does this. He knows exactly the work that needs to be done for the day. He goes once, he hires the men, and that's it. Kenneth Bailey, in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, gives us a backdrop for this. The men that he's hiring are men who can't find employment anywhere else. And they're basically standing on the street corner waiting for someone to come and hire them for the day. In fact, I think we have some instances of that in our own communities as well. Whether or not it is the case in our community, I don't know. But in the Middle Eastern community, there's great shame attached to this. Because there you are, standing, an able-bodied male, on the corner waiting for a job. And who's passing you by but all the people who have steady jobs and full careers and have made something of themselves. And you're standing there practically begging, not begging for money, but begging for a job. And if you don't get a job, you get to return home and tell your wife and children, I failed. And maybe there's nothing to eat today. So when the master goes and hires the first for the denarius, it is these others who catch his eye. 
That is why he returns at the third hour to see who remains. And he hires them even though, guess what? He doesn't need them. And he goes back and he simply can't get those men standing there in their shame and their uncertainty and their worry. He can't get them out of his mind and so he goes another time, the sixth hour. And another time, the ninth hour. And finally even another time at the eleventh hour. And he says, why are you still standing here? Haven't you just given up and gone home? You come to the vineyard too. That is the heart of our God. That is the heart of our God. The second oddity is that the workers trust him. Those who are chosen first agree for a denarius, that's true. But what about the next groups? Groups two, three, and four are simply told by him, I will pay you what is just. And they trust him and go. The 11th hour group, the final and fifth group, there's no mention of pay whatsoever. He just says, you come too. And they trust him. They know his heart. The third oddity is that this master then puts a foreman there to actually execute the payday. We'll talk more about that foreman in a minute, but it's a little unusual that he wouldn't just do it himself. And the fourth is what the foreman says. The English translation is a little weak. I think it says, give them their wages. In Greek, it's already quite stark. Give them the wage. The wage. And then fifth, we've already mentioned, that's simply the order of payment. Again, which brings home Jesus' point that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So, from this parable, then, what does it mean to keep your eyes on God? It means to keep your eyes on the master. And this master has a foreman who then distributes these funds graciously and generously to those who, quote-unquote, haven't earned them. In the master and the foreman, then, we see a picture, don't we, of the father and the son. And one thing that often escapes our attention in these parables, but ought not, is that there is someone who suffers an injustice. That's not the first group. They get what is justly theirs. It's not any of the other groups. They get more than what is just. Who suffers the injustice? The master and the foreman. They give self-sacrificially. The father and the son. And so you can see that the father and the son bear the loss. They bear the cost of saving and redeeming us, of giving unto us not a denarius, not merely a day's wage, not even everything we need for this body and life. All of that's true, of course. But even more, he purchases us and wins us, not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood, with his infinite compassion grace, and mercy. So when we set our eyes on the master and the foreman, we set our eyes on God and on his son. And there we may see his graciousness and mercy toward us and toward all. And then this parable gets enacted in our midst 
in a few minutes. In a few minutes, it's payday. And you, just like the other workers in the vineyard, will come right up here to the table of the foreman, and he will give you your payment. Whether you came at the first hour, the third, the sixth, the ninth, or the eleventh, we all receive the same payment. And what is it that we receive here from him? Oh, payment unimaginable. Not only the forgiveness of our sins, not only his very body and blood by which we become part of him and one with Christ Jesus our Lord, by which our lives begin to be transformed even here on earth, but we receive the fullness of God himself in Christ Jesus. How can God, who has given us Christ Jesus, his own son, not also give us all things? So this morning, you come here and you open your hand, you open your mouth, and you receive payday from this gracious foreman and master. Well, I can think of no better way than to conclude not with my own words, but with the words of probably the greatest preacher in all of Christendom, John Chrysostom. You'll recognize this if you've been to the Easter Vigil. Here's his take on this text and its themes. If any have toiled from the first hour, let them receive their due reward. If any have come after the third hour, let him with gratitude join the feast. And he that arrived at the sixth hour, let him not doubt, for he too shall sustain no loss. And if any delayed until the ninth hour, let him not hesitate, but let him come too. And he who arrived only at the eleventh hour, let him not be afraid by reason of his delay. For the Lord is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him who comes at the eleventh hour as well as to him who toiled from the first. To this one he gives, and upon another he bestows. He accepts the works as he greets the endeavor, the deed he honors, and the intention he commends. Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise for the offertory.